Hello, everybody, and welcome to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny. Today is Friday, October 27th, and I hope that you are having a wonderful day. Happy Friday, everybody. Hope you had a great week. Hope you're looking forward to an even better weekend. Now, if this is your first time listening to the show, I want to say welcome. My Daily Trivia is a 10-round quiz show with no specific themes, topics, or categories. But we do bring you a new episode every day, Monday through Friday, with each day getting progressively harder. Now, of course, today's Friday. It's the end of the week. We're about to take the weekend off. But it means that it's the hardest day in terms of My Daily Trivia. Now, as always, if you find this episode to be a bit too challenging, listen, I'm glad you showed up. Glad you're listening. I hope you're having fun. If you find it a little hard today, take the weekend off. Rejoin us on Monday. It's going to be the easiest day of the week. On the other hand, if you're feeling pretty smart and this episode is a little too simple for you, I don't know what to tell you. This is as hard as it gets, so pat yourself on the back. Now, without any further delay, let's get into today's round of questions with question number one. What is the title of the unfinished work? by Johann Sebastian Bach, which is believed to be his final composition before his death in 1750. And that composition is called The Art of Fugu. The Art of Fugu is an incomplete musical work of unspecified instrumentation by Johann Sebastian Bach. Written in the last decade of his life, The Art of Fugu, which by the way is spelled F-U-G-U-E, it is the culmination of Bach's experimentation with monothematic instrumental works. This work consists of 14 fugus and four canons in D minor, each using some variation of a single principal subject and generally ordered to increase in complexity. Quote, the governing ideal of the work was an exploration in depth of the contrapunal possibilities inherent in a single musical subject. That was written by Bach specialist Christoph Wolf. And he was referring to the unfinished work by Johann Sebastian Bach, his last work called The Art of Fugu. Moving on to question number two. What is the term used to describe the soft material that deer will shed from their antlers? And that material is referred to as velvet shedding. Velvet antler is the whole cartilaginous antler in a precalcified growth stage of the cervidae family, including the species of deer, such as elk, moose, and caribou. Velvet antler is covered in a hairy, velvet-like skin, known as velvet, and its tines are rounded because the antler has not calcified or finished developing. Velvet antler preparations are sold in China as part of traditional Chinese medicine, and in some countries as a dietary supplement. Marketing claims of health effects are not supported by research, and the Food and Drug Administration has warned companies selling the products about false advertising. As a matter of fact, I knew a guy in college, 
a, a friend of mine, he was a swimmer, competitive swimmer, and he took some deer velvet supplements, thinking that it might help him. Now, I don't know if it did or not. He was pretty good on the team, but uh, it wasn't something they tested for. He shall remain nameless, by the way. In any case, that material that's found on deer antlers before they calcify, that's referred to as velvet. Moving on to question number three. In what Marvel Comics title did the Silver Surfer first appear? And the Silver Surfer made his first appearance in The Fantastic Four. The Silver Surfer is a fictional character appearing in American comic books published by Marvel Comics. The character also appears in a number of movies, television, and video game adaptations. The character was created by Jack Kirby and first appeared in the comic book Fantastic Four number 48, published in 1966. So, Silver Surfer. You know, I remember seeing the Silver Surfer in the Fantastic Four movie, which I think came out probably, gosh, probably close to 20 years ago at this point. I was a little kid. I remember seeing the uh, the Silver Surfer. And he first appeared back in 1966 in the Fantastic Four comic book series. Question number four. Which region of northeastern France has been traded seven times by Germany and France since 300 A.D.? And that region is called Alsace. Now, if you had said Alsace-Lorraine, I'd give it to you. Typically, they're often paired together, but specifically, we're looking for Alsace, because that is the exact region that has traded hands multiple times over the border. Alsace is a cultural region and a territorial collectivity in eastern France on the west bank of the Upper Rhine next to Germany and Switzerland. In January of 2023, it had a population of 1.9 million people. Alsatian culture is characterized by a blend of German and French influences. This shouldn't come as a surprise because, as stated in the question, it has been traded multiple times between the two areas. Now, of course, Germany wasn't always a country. That didn't occur until 1871. But it was the Holy Roman Empire and a loose confederation of German states under which it uh, Als Alsace was often often uh, included. Now, um, that area has been part of France now since the end of World War II. But going back as far as at least I can remember, it switched in 1871 when it went over to Germany. And then after World War I, that went back to France. And then at the beginning of World War II, then Germany, of course, took it over in a big way, plus a lot more. And then at the end of World War II, they gave it back to France. So currently, it sits under the French flag. That is the region of Alsace. Question number five. What is the term for the bundle of nerve fibers that connects the two hemispheres of the brain and allows them to communicate with each other?
And that bundle of nerve fibers is referred to as the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum, which is Latin for tough body, and is also called the colossal commissure, is a wide, thick nerve tract consisting of flat bundle of commissure fibers beneath the cerebral cortex in the brain. The corpus callosum is only found in placental mammals. It spans part of the longitudinal fissure, connecting the left and right brain cerebral hemispheres, enabling communication between the two of them. It is the largest white matter structure in the human brain. It's about 10 inches in length, which is equivalent to about 25 centimeters, and it consists of around 200 to 300 million axonal projections. All of those can be found in the corpus callosum, that big old band of fibers between the hemispheres of the brain. Moving on to question number six. Who was the first czar of Russia? And the first czar of Russia was Ivan the Terrible. What a name, right? Ivan the Terrible? Man, good nickname, I think. Ivan IV Vasilevich, commonly known as Ivan the Terrible, was Grand Prince of Moscow and all of Russia from 1533, and the Tsar of Russia from 1547 until his death in 1584. He was the first Russian monarch to be crowned as Tsar. Now, the English word terrible is usually used to translate a Russian word, which I can't read or pronounce, but I think it's pronounced as Grotsny, if I'm not mistaken. Now, this is a somewhat archaic translation. Uh, the Russian word Grotsny reflects the older English usage of the word terrible, as in inspiring fear or terror dangerous and powerful, so similar to the modern English usage of the word terrifying. Now, it does not convey the more modern connotations of the English terrible, such as defective or evil, right? Now, despite all that, even with the old archaic definition, I still think it's a pretty, pretty darn good nickname. Ivan the Terrible? I mean, think about how many greats there are. Alexander the Great, Frederick the Great, you know, you find a lot of greats out there, but only one Ivan the Terrible. There's even a guy of orange. I forget his name, but there is something the orange. In any case, first star of Russia, Ivan the Terrible. Moving on to question number seven. Which Hinduist deity is known as the Destroyer? And the answer there, that is Shiva. That's S-H-I-V-A. The Trimurti is the trinity of supreme divinity in Hinduism, in which the cosmic functions of creation, preservation, and destruction are personified as a triad of deities. Typically, the designations are that of Brahma, the creator, Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. In the Shavit tradition, Shiva is the supreme lord who creates, protects, and transforms the universe. 
Shiva has many aspects, benevolent as well as fearsome. In the benevolent aspects, he is depicted as an omniscient yogi who lives an aesthetic life on Mount Kailash, as well as a householder with his wife Parvati and his two children, Ganesha and Kartika. In his fierce aspects, he is often depicted as slaying demons. Shiva is also known as, ready for this word, Adiyogi, I think is how you pronounce it, uh, which means the first yogi. He's often regarded as the patron god of yoga, meditation, and the arts. Now, not only all of that, he's also known as the destroyer. That is Shiva. Question number eight. What were the earliest forms of contraceptive made from? And the first recorded version of a contraceptive was made from honey and crocodile dung. That's, that's right, crocodile poop was included in that contraceptive. Birth control and abortion are well documented in ancient Egypt. The Ebers papyrus from 1550 BC and the Cahoon papyrus from 1850 BC have within them some of the earliest documentation descriptions of birth control. Now, the birth control methods mentioned in the papyrus include the application of a gummy substance to cover the, quote, mouth of the womb, uh, which they're referring to as the cervix. Now, this is a mixture of honey and sodium carbonate applied to the inside of the vagina and made from a pessary of crocodile dung. So they would mix all this stuff together with crocodile poop. I guess they would cover the womb with it and... I guess maybe it would work. I don't know. If there's anyone brave enough out there to try it, give it a shot. Report back. Let us know how it goes. Moving on to question number nine. Who was the renowned paleoanthropologist known for her groundbreaking discoveries in East Africa, including the fossilized footprints at Letoli and the fossilized skull of an hominid species called Australopithecus bossi? And the answer there is Mary Leakey. Mary Douglas Leakey was a British paleoanthropologist who discovered the first fossilized proconsul skull, an extinct ape which is now believed to be ancestral to humans. She also discovered the robust Xenchanthropus skull at the Olduvai Gorge in Tanzania, East Africa. For much of her career, she worked with her husband, Louis Leakey at Olduvai Gorge, where they uncovered fossils of ancient hominins and the earliest hominins, as well as the stone tool produced by the latter group. Mary Leakey developed a system for classifying the stone tools found at Olduvai. She discovered the Litoli footprints, and at the Litoli site, she discovered hominin fossils that were more than 375 million years old. Quite an impressive discovery, quite an impressive career. That is Mary Leakey. Moving on to our last 
question of the day. It's question number 10. What song by Billie Eilish was released for a James Bond film, making her the youngest artist ever to record a James Bond theme song? And that song is No Time to Die. No Time to Die is the theme song for the James Bond film of the same name, performed by American singer-songwriter Billie Eilish and written by Eilish and her brother and collaborator Phineas O'Connell. The song features orchestration by Hans Zimmer and was produced by Phineas O'Connell and Stephen Lipson. 17 years old at the time of recording, Eilish is the youngest artist to have ever recorded a James Bond theme in the history of its franchise. It seems like it'd be a hard record to break. She was 17. I can't imagine there's many 16, 15, 14-year-olds out there that are up to the task, but never say never. In any case, that was Billie Eilish with the song No Time to Die. So that will conclude this round of My Daily Trivia. If you found this round to be a bit too simple, well, pat yourself on the back. It's as hard as it gets. On the other hand, if you found this episode to be a bit challenging, listen, take the weekend off, relax a little bit, go have fun, go do something you like. Come back on Monday. We're going to have the easiest round of the week. I want to thank all of you again for listening to My Daily Trivia. I'm your host, Danny, and I will see all of you on Monday. Monday.